Hello, and welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast, where we spotlight entrepreneurs and innovators shaping the marketplace in our region. This week, we're talking with Daniel Husman. Daniel has traveled a long and diverse road to becoming a tech entrepreneur. Today, he is the CEO and co founder of Nimbly Technologies, a SaaS company that develops mobile solutions for automating and improving operational efficiency. Before that, Daniel worked in over 30 different countries as a prominent leader in large corporations like Walmart, General Mills, and the World Health Organization. He also established the Indonesia Country Office for Clinton's Global Health Initiative, became a Fulbright MBA scholar, and even got licensed as an advanced open water diver. He joins the show today to talk about how God works through all our experiences and why he thinks more nimble companies can help create better societies. Let's listen in. Entrepreneurs, we're rooting ourselves in love and purpose. How do we build a sustainable venture to enable people to flourish? Any use of money is simply to serve this God on whom we are completely dependent. The only legacy that I care about is Jesus Christ. I don't care about my legacy. Jesus could kneel down and clean the feet of his disciples. If he can do that, he is God. Who are we? Entrepreneurship is changing Asia from within. Leaders across industries are taking up their God-given call to create. We are excited to highlight the many stories of what God is doing throughout our region. We will also feature entrepreneurs from around the world who have important things to say, no matter where they call home. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast. When how are you? Um, I'm great, except for my voice. So I apologize in advance. Well, I'm fond of saying that it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how I'm feeling or what I sound like. The only thing that matters is what I look like, which is me, <laughs> me channeling a, a a skit from the 1980s of Saturday Night Live. But uh, in this case, actually, it does matter what you sound like because it's a podcast. But I think you sound good. So tell me why you don't sound great. <clears throat> well, um, it's not a good idea to eat like tom yum at like ten o'clock is, at what night. Is, what is, what yeah. is tom yum? It's kind. It's a, it's a Thai, very quite spicy. Um, lots of lemongrass herbs, kind of soup, and it, it had like fish in it and all that. Yeah. Isn't so like I woke No. Oh, a clear laksa, no coconut milk. Okay. So for the, for the listeners out there, Henry loves laksa, like Singapore laksa, favorite dish. Yep. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like that, but no coconut milk. So it's clear. Um, so does that mean so it's better for you? Clear. Probably less fattening. Yeah. Okay. You know what I like about laksa though? What? Is that it doesn't mess up my podcast voice. <laughs> no, All right. No hey, well, we've got a great uh, we've got a great guest today. Is a friend of mine, Daniel Hosman. I spent time with Daniel at last month's Christian Economic Forum. Just a great time to spend some more time together. I've known him for a couple of years now, but really just I've been looking forward to today's podcast because there's such a redemptive story in the way that he views his enterprise, and we're going to get at the bottom of that uh, today. And and when maybe you can just get us started with um, uh, your thoughts, and and why don't you just kick us? You know, there's just so much to talk about with Daniel. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah, um, tell us a bit about the roles that you've had. I mean, you've worked 
for some pretty big organizations, Walmart, General Mills, World Health Organization. He established a country office for President Clinton um, in Indonesia. Um, can you give us like, a very quick flyover like, of your journey to um, the time that you found at Nimbly? I'd love to. Uh, I think one common thread in my career has been in, in driving efficiency and productivity, whether that's product at the shelves or people in the stores or processes in general, especially in the value chain. So I started my career in retail supermarket at Walmart and General Mills in the U.S. Uh, and then I decided Minneapolis was too cold when I was at General Mills. Uh, so I moved to Mexico, uh, you know, just a complete reversal in terms of the temperatures there, right? Um, uh, I was there for a Fulbright Fellowship, and I also was able to uh, work with Endeavor, essentially a global community of high-impact entrepreneurs. So that's also one of the um, reasons why I got bitten by the entrepreneur bug, if you will, right? Um, and then I completely shifted to nonprofit, and I partnered with the Indonesian Ministry of Health, working for President Clinton's foundation to improve the supply chain of life-saving medications for people living with HIV and AIDS. And it took me to places I would never have imagined, uh, like Papua. So for those of you who are uh, having trouble um, locating where Papua is, essentially there's this island called New Guinea. You split it in half. On the east side is Papua New Guinea, a sovereign nation. On the left-hand side or on the west side is Papua, the provinces of Papua and West Papua belongs to, to Indonesia. But essentially we're talking about uh, stepping back in time, right? Dealing with tribal leaders and so forth. But, you know, I promised to keep my answer short, so I'll, I'll keep it at that. And then after that, I, I went back to Walmart, uh, worked with them on global sustainability strategy across the Americas, uh, Europe, Africa, and Asia. And then um, I went back to Indonesia. So I kept on going back and forth between the U.S. and, and this region. Um, I, I worked for a Dutch organization and and basically on impact investing to uh, green the supply chains or to make supply chains more sustainable before found, founding my startup in India. Yeah. Okay. So I'm actually interested in that. I appreciate you want to keep short answers, but I think our audience wants to learn a little bit more about Papua. Most people won't. Most people, the majority of our listeners, of course, are in Asia. And so there's a better chance that they'll know of Papua. But tell us a little bit about what you learn in the marketplace there. I think that the opportunity for all of us as faith-driven entrepreneurs is to understand the global context in the markets beyond where we are, particularly those that are emerging. So what's Papua like? Indonesia, I believe, has over 300-something languages, maybe over 400-something, of which 300-plus are in Papua because of all the tribes, right? Uh, so it's very, very tribal. Um, we're talking about talking to uh, tribal leaders about the concept of germs, even, right? Uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't compute. So usually they would, um, for people who begin to feel sick and show symptoms, they actually isolate them, which is bad in the case of HIV because people will die, right? So um, just things like that. And, and they're, they're just, they're amazing walkers because they're, they're quite nomadic, nomadic in, in a sense. So they walk for days on end, right? Across the mountains and the valleys and things like that. So the, the challenge when, when you talk about business side of things is how do we get these drugs or these medications into this region without increasing the cost tremendously? Now, obviously, Heineken, the beer company, has figured that out. Coca-Cola has figured it out. Why couldn't we do that for life-saving medications that cost, in some cases, 700% more than what we could find in Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia? So that was the some of the issues that I had to wrestle with. Got it. Okay. So uh, 
Faith-driven entrepreneurs are about solving problems that we see. Uh, having drug costs that are 700, 700% more than that in the capital city, that's a problem that's worthy of a faith-driven entrepreneur solving as we look to redeem and restore all things and correct injustices. Okay, maybe we'll spend more time on Papua and inefficiencies on another podcast. I personally am fascinated by it. But let's bring it back to the work that God has uniquely had you on. And there's a common thread that I've seen in your work. And I want to talk about it It maybe at the beginning, maybe sustainability if not the beginning, but what I what I see with that story and through to what you have now at Nimbly is a sense about human potential and maybe seeing human potential in places that maybe others don't. So maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. So why don't you pick up on that and say, what was, and I'm probably mispronouncing the name Sustainovation anyway. No, it was, what was What was that origin story? And what is this theme of recognizing human potential that you've now seen through your career? Uh, yes, Henry, thank you. Uh, sustained invasion is actually a combination of sustainability and innovation. So a lot of Indonesians, we like to kind of smash words together, if you've noticed, right? Hence, sustainability. Um, and with regards to human potential, right? I was thinking at that, at that point in my life, um, because I was working on greening the supply chain, sustainability, what we call a lot of times ESG now, right? Um, and I was I was deep in, in this in this work, but I was thinking, how do we get more people involved, not just the folks in the companies, but but rather you know folks like college students and and those types of things. And and I realized that um, tech companies use a lot of gamification elements to actually incentivize or for lack of better words, get us to do things, right? And so I was thinking, how do we use that for good? In fact, the, I think one of our first brand was Gamer for Good, right? So uh, I start um, building this platform, this mobile app, if you will, to get uh, university students in, in the US to start recycling more, right? And so that's when we partner with Starbucks and, and some other companies as well on the prizes uh, side of things, right? But, um, you know, I think it was a bit too early. Uh, it became a consultancy instead of a scalable, repeatable business. And I was thinking about how do we mobilize people to do the right things or, or good things, whether that's in their personal context or their corporate or, or work context. So uh, very quickly, as I visited one of these companies in, in Dallas, Texas, uh, I realized that uh, even though they have over 8,000 stores at that time, They're, they've doubled since then, they still send hundreds, if not thousands of what they call field consultants weekly to ensure that all of their stores were implementing these uh, appropriate standard operating procedures, if you will, right? And all of it was done manually with pen and paper. And this was 2018, Henry. So I, I did something similar in 2000. I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, when I was at Walmart, it was my first job. And we were using Microsoft Access. For those of you listening, you may not even know what that is, right? So uh, I just thought 18 years have passed and yet things have really remained the same. And, and some of these folks were telling me that attaching photos and pictures and, and other media files take 12, 13 steps, right? And, and so I thought, wow. And these guys, they usually have to do it, or ladies, have to do it in their evenings and their weekends because during the day they're probably they're going around these stores, right? And I was thinking, man, that's time that they could spend with their family, 
you know, with with their uh, relatives and their loved ones. Uh, I was really surprised that large businesses, enterprises still have not digitalized their processes, like what we call retail execution for frontline workers, right? Uh, and to me, that was the light bulb moment, pivot sustaination into this operational you know, excellent software called Nimbly Technologies, because we had this mission to help organizations streamline their operations and be more nimble, hence Nimbly, right? But on the human side, I'm just thinking, you know, I've been a frontliner myself. When, as, as an American, I think it's quite common that you have summer jobs or, or you know, college jobs or jobs during college. And, and I work for Golden Corral. Uh, now, for those of you listening, if if you haven't lived in the South or the Midwest or or the East Coast, you probably don't even know them. It's this buffet company. Uh, they don't have laksa. They've got everything but laksa. <laughs> That's right. And, and so I've been a frontliner myself. Man, it's busy. It's really busy. You got so many things to do. You got so many things to remember. Um, and I remember going through so many of these checklists, and, and I'm thinking, gosh. You know, we, we have technology for that now. How can that help uh, the the um, the frontline workers to do their job more properly? Because there's a lot of things that we forget. We get distracted. People ask us questions while we're doing something, right? And unfortunately, some of those gaps or some of those distractions will cause food safety issues, right? Oh, I'm, I'm looking at the temperatures of the chillers and the coolers and the fryers, but someone was asking me a question and and I forgot and I moved on. and. You know, so uh, technology that, like Nimbly ensures that those very vital things uh, that should happen in the store, cleanliness, uh, temperature control, even the current mar- marketing campaigns are, are actually what's needed to be done uh, day in and day out. That's really cool. I didn't realize it like expands into like the F and B and um in the you know cooking side of things and food safety. Um, but I find that with I mean a lot of technologies, um. How was the process of trying to onboard people? So I'm guessing, you know, a lot of times, you know, automation comes in and digitization and people who might be on hourly wages might be like, oh, like, is this going to like take away my job? Is this going to cut my hours? Um, or yeah, like, I mean, there's so much kind of human behavior and like insecurities actually when you're dealing with, um, people to try and help them change. So how did you go about that? That's such an astute observation. Uh, indeed, we we talk about this whenever we engage clients. Um, and we always start with the end in mind, right? How can we improve productivity while at the same time make frontline workers' lives easier? That has to be a win-win situation. It's a change management uh, thing, even though you may be thinking, gosh, I'm just taking whatever's on paper, I'll put it on digital. Not quite like that. Uh, actually, when, when you go through that transformation, there's a lot that could be streamlined. I, I, you know, we work with some big companies uh, there are global brands that you go to probably on a weekly basis. And, and when we start working on their processes and SOPs, we realize, hey, guys, you're asking these folks to do four or five things in different ways, but it's actually the same thing. Can we just have them do it one time or frequency? Um, you know, sometimes they, they ask uh, the frontline workers to do the same thing every shift, but actually, you know, through our collective wisdom of over 100 clients and the FMB alone, we can say, you know, actually, that, that's okay to be done once a day or once a week. Because what we realize is that SOPs tend to get bloated over time. People just add, they never subtract, right? Because they're not the ones doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just I, I think, I think and, and no one empathy, wants to read it. 
Yeah, and having that empathy is really, really important. So we made our solution from the very beginning, from the point of view of the frontline workers. Again, I've been one, so it helps, right? It has to be easy to use and as intuitive as possible. And people say that all the time. It, the way we uh, make that more concrete is, you know, we we think about what apps they are using on a daily basis. We we even have some of the colors that are similar, you know, navigation um, uh, icons and where they're located. So. So to them, it feels quite normal. We obviously localize the languages in the countries that we're in. Um, and because for, for, for us, we see it. If it's too hard or time consuming, they will drop it because they're just so busy. I think that one of the most overlooked aspects of running a business is this value of the frontline worker and understanding really what the meaning of the term frontline means. These are people who are interacting with your customer. And it makes yes. me think back to, we we're talking about F&B a little bit some time that I spent with uh, the guys at Chick-fil-A and Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A, which is a large chicken restaurant in the United States. They make a great chicken sandwich are known for the way that they delight their customer. And I was just trying to understand more about that because they've got all these friendly people there and they're just like, you know, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And, and it just, uh, it's really compelling. So people love the chicken sandwich and they love the service. So I want to understand more about that. And they said, you know, actually we don't spend a lot of time, and yeah, we've got recruiting where we go ahead and we have interviews of people, et cetera. But actually, the way that we try to address delighting the customer is by first delighting our employee. You see, if somebody didn't get their payroll on time or they tripped over a mop on the way to you know leaving or they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't punch in or punch out the way they wanted to, or they have some level of dissatisfaction about the job. It's really hard to look somebody in the eye and say, it's my pleasure when it's not their pleasure. And so customer, delighting our customer, which leads to, you know, customer, business is all about customer acquisition and customer retention, right? And a lot of it for software as a service entrepreneurs on this call, you get that CAC and LTV and you understand churn, but that happens in F&B as well. You go in, you have a great experience with Chick-fil-A, you go back. The lifetime value of a customer is how much you're going to be able to, what kind of net profit you're going to have over the lifetime of a customer. And you get that if you've been able to deliver this outstanding performance, but that only happens if the person who's frontline is able to play an active role in that customer retention. And so what you're doing at Nimbly is understanding and recognizing the value of that frontline employee who may be one of the lower paid people in the organization, but like those are, that's my face of the company for somebody to come back to a Corral, Chick-fil-A or any company for that matter. And so I understand on one hand, the worth and the dignity of all people because they're God's image bearers, but I also understand it's actually a really good business because these are the people who are representing my brand real time and you're creating the software to make that. Or am I just reading too much into what I'm thinking you're thinking? Uh, I think we should have you do our marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about By that, way. but I think that you're honest on it. I think that's one of the things that makes uh, the, the company successful is that you're speaking to some of these truths and it's just universally applicable. And yet the frontline worker has been overlooked and it's based on your, and that's what makes an entrepreneur. If an entrepreneur is listening to this, it's, what problems have you experienced in the workplace? They're like, it shouldn't be this way. Okay. When we return to the Garden of Eden, there's not going to be all this inefficiency for the frontline worker at Golden Corral. And so if that's the case, 
then maybe God would have me redeem and restore what's broken about communicating and enabling frontline workers. So it's your idea based on the problem that you saw. What are some of the other problems that you see about the way that companies are able to communicate with their frontline workers where a frontline worker might not feel completely enabled or empowered? Um, so just picking up on the thread that you just mentioned, right? Um, in a multi-store retail context, like a Golden Corral or Chick-fil-A or KFC, uh, we're talking about hundreds or thousands of stores. The main challenge is around consistency of that product quality and customer experience, right? You nailed it on the head. Uh, but we as customers don't realize, we, we expect when we go in to bite down on this tender juicy piece of chicken or have a crunchy waffle fries with nice Polynesian sauce. If, if you, if you're a chicken plate, Chick-fil-A fan, um, sit in a, in an environment that's clean. People are friendly to you. They know the products when you ask them. What we as customers don't know is that behind all of that, for you to have that nice, consistent experience are thousands and thousands of subtasks, micro tasks that they have to do. And these are the types of things that we are uh, helping them build digital routines around, automate a lot of the workflows, meaning if something happens, a, a particular scenario, which department has to fix it, how long do they have, and, and all that's being tracked and measured to, to ensure that there's quick feedback loops to the original processes to improve uh, continuously, right? So um, I think from, from that aspect, uh, it really speaks to not only the human side, but the business side. I mean, this is why companies invest in software like ours, because they need that to bring back the customers for the lifetime value that you, you mentioned. Um, I'm going to pick up on the problem-solving thread. Um, and so I, I can hear it over and over again in just, I think this is how God's wired you. It's like, you know, you find a problem, there's inefficiency. Oh, how can we make this better? Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I work for an entrepreneur and surrounded by them and there's a million problems. And so how do you kind of pick, I would say for the entrepreneurs, you know, who are listening and they're like, oh, this, this product features is going to solve this problem and all that. How do you prioritize? I'm speaking from some pain here. Um, how do you prioritize and just go, you know what, this is like, how do you pray about it? You know, that's God speak to you and like just trying to figure out how. There's just so many issues in the world. I mean, you were in impact investing and you were, you know, in, in all of the impact kind of world. So how do you go about that? Well, it's uh, it's really tough. I mean, there's always so many problems to solve, uh, even within one industry or one thing. It's not just about features, as as you, you can understand. Um, to be honest, I think I should pray more about it. Uh, as you mentioned that, I think I think you're, you're definitely right. Typically, the way we look at, you know, uh, on the priority side, how much impact would this have on our potential clients or our existing clients, right? With regards to either revenue or or profit or uh, retention, you know, those types of, of metrics. Um, and we also look at how much time is it going to require us to, to build this out, right? Um, you know, and, and looking at some perhaps return investments and, and timelines and other priorities, that's usually how, how we look to prioritize features, as, as you mentioned. In terms of problem to solve, uh, you, you know, I, I think it's easier to solve problems that you're intimate with that you experience a lot um 
you know, when, when I wanted to be an entrepreneur, uh, I started with this white sheet of paper. Okay, what problems are there in the world? Obviously, there's tons. But a lot of those, they don't even speak to me. I, I don't even really know where to start and things like that. So I start with what I know. I start with my own experience. And when I look at and speak to a lot of decision makers or, or owners, and they're telling me they're having these types of issues, it actually jogged my memory of, oh, Actually, I've had those issues myself. And, and when, when I can empathize with, with what they're going through, I feel like that's a place where, where I would start. I really love that. Um, so for the listeners and for, I mean, in Asia context, there's no Chick-fil-A here. So I'm really jealous when I hear you guys talk about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, I, I kind of really resonate with the experience having worked at uh, one of my first jobs was at McDonald's. I was on the fry counter. Um, and then like, say, like when you're talking, literally, I'm like going back to being like a teenager and just working in this. And I'm just, yeah, I, I love how you said that. It's really about your personal experience and having a heart and an empathy for that. Um, that's really cool. Henry. Yes. Well, I just, I'm just thinking here, um, this is going to devolve again into a conversation about food, but if I worked at the fry counter at McDonald's, I'd be 400 pounds. Be like one for the customer, one for me. I just, I just, that's my Achilles heel. Okay. Back to the business side, Daniel, you were quoted by the Jakarta globe, or you told the Jakarta globe, big business magazine there that you plan to grow by several hundred percent this year. So that's a lot. That's a lot of growth. Um, so that's huge that you've seen enough success to reinforce. So that's an incredible vision and goal. And I'd love to hear about some of the processes that you are thinking about putting in place for that. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you've communicated that with your employees. What do you anticipate? And, you know, scale is something you're associated with. You, you, this isn't your first rodeo. You've worked at Fortune 500 companies. You see, you know what infrastructure looks like in scale. But how do you, how do you go ahead and equip a small and nimble, if you know, pun intended, a small and nimble organization into one that scales. How are you thinking about that? Uh, I still think about it, Henry, to be honest. <laughs> uh, indeed, it's an aggressive goal. Um, and for us, the way, the way we look at it is first, can we infuse this vision to most of our employees, right? Maybe not everybody. It's a, uh, Kind of that hundred percent is is really ninety percent, right? Um, and we work on processes, so we think about how do we build repeatable and scalable sales machine, for example, right? We look at also markets. I mean, we're living in very unprecedented times. I think that that came out all the time during COVID, right? And it's true. I think if COVID hadn't happened, I would focus only on F and B. Uh, or food service, which is, you know, about 60% of our business, and only in Indonesia. First, this is the usual uh, strategy you'd have, right? Focus on a smaller subset in, in one market and kill it, and then you'd grow to other things. But during COVID, that business dried up. So we had to adapt. So then we started expanding into manufacturing and agriculture. Um, and, and, and then a year later, Delta wave hit. So Indonesia was shut down for a couple of months or a few months. Then we have to think about, gosh, you know, even in all these industries, that's also dried up. So then we have to think about other markets. So, so we look at 
Also the di diversification. Uh, so now we, we, we have teams in about five countries, uh, Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, Singapore, and, and India. So we, we look at geographic expansion, but now that COVID is, is better managed, we're starting to gravitate back to our, our strength, which is food service and, and retail, but in these different locations, right? Um, the, one of the most important things, and it, it's hard to, to do, uh, and we're still figuring this out, to be honest, is how do we cast that vision and help people understand that this is achievable? This is doable. I think uh, I'm, I'm quoting one of our mutual friends, Luke Rush here. Uh, I think he, he always said, you know, if you ask people to climb a mountain and you don't tell them how long it's going to take or what milestones it, it's going to take to get there, I think you're, you're burning trust as fuel, right? And we try to give those milestones and help people understand and celebrate. I think that's an important one at each milestone, no matter how big, how small. That's also an important part of gamification, as, as you remember. Um, so that's what we try to do. Um, you know, we also look at customer segmentation. We, during COVID, we were able to look at our numbers um, much more closely. And we realized, hey, you know what? Actually, the larger customers, uh, it's a better fit for us. They have a greater operational complexity. They need a software like us much more than those that have two stores or three stores, right? Where they could perhaps manage it with WhatsApp, Line, Viber, text or things like that and, and emails and phone calls. And so we continue to also move up market to these um, uh, bigger mid-market enterprise clientele. So they also represent larger deals. So then for each deal, it, it could be worth maybe five or 10 deals that we did in the past. Um, and, and lastly, as we continue working on this, this is our fourth year, uh, we see that there's a suite of products that we can build out for the frontliners, the frontline workers, right? Not only this sort of task management, but also how do you manage a distributed workforce, uh, the, the lightweight kind of learning management system, not the Coursera or, or the Udemy of the world, because frontline workers are not going to look at that, right? It has to be contextualized for their jobs. So we, we have even uh, links, for example, let's say I'm a barista at, at a coffee shop and I just got hired a month ago. I've been trained two weeks. I kind of remember, I kind of don't, to calibrate a coffee machine. So I can pretend to do this and, and then, uh, and then it, I break it, God forbid, right? And then that store would lose revenue for, for a week or so until it gets fixed. Or, you know, in Nimbly, you could actually click on a short video. How do I calibrate a coffee machine? Walk them through each of those things. So it's this contextualized, not even on the job, on the task. One thing about building a team with a big vision is actually building the team part. Um, scaling is really hard. Um, even, you know, same geography, same city, right? But you're going all across. Um, how do you do that? How do you find the right team members of the similar values um, that you have? Um, and to build that culture as you've got this really big goal and now it's about like, and a big part of it's the people. How do you go around that? Gosh, I, I think that's our number one challenge, to be frank. Uh, it's not even the market or the, the total addressable market. Uh, it's there. It's, to be honest, I feel like it's there for the taking. It's how do you, rightfully mm -hmm. so, build a team that that can fit into the culture, that have the same spirit of excellence, you know? To be honest, a lot of it for us has been, you know, trial and error. Uh, and this whole remote work made it even more challenging, right? Uh, I think 
because as a smaller team and as a as a younger team, uh, younger in your journey as well, it's really tough to build that camaraderie and and to speed up the accelerate uh, to accelerate the the onboarding when you're not together. You know, so we try to do. Uh, I mean, even use company time and and them just to shoot the breeze. I I have uh, not only do I have the management team meeting weekly, but uh, regularly, I would have a, a geography uh, meeting, if you will, or what we call a skip level. Just anyone in India or anyone in Southeast Asia or in Indonesia. Uh, obviously, Indonesia is part of Southeast Asia, but they're such a big constituency on, yeah. on our part. We split it up. Let's just talk what's going on in your lives, right? How can Nimbly or in this case, myself personally, help you achieve your goals or what you're going through? So. Uh, through one of these skip levels, actually during uh, the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the year, one of our folks in the Philippines just had such a heart for Ukraine, and he was tortured by. It. I mean, you can see it in his face; he's praying about it, and 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 all of that. And he said, "I wish we can do something," you know. And and I said, "Well, let, let's let's think about it. Let's pray about it." And and it just so happened that uh, later that week, I got a message from one of the missionaries we've been um, we meaning my family and then. Um, partnering with in Italy, and they're saying they started uh, bringing in and re- and, re- and settling refugees in the Italy and Hungary area, literally bringing them in vans from across the border. Right, and I said, "Hey guys, how about this? I mean, I, I know it's it's maybe uh, a small contribution, but I'm willing to match the the donation that our team." Uh, is is willing to to give to this cause. So and, and we were able to do that. Uh, and obviously, you know, it's it's not going to be something like what Walmart would give or anything like that. But I feel like uh, folks sense that we care about the community, and and we do something about that. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. And I, I think it's just such a reminder. We're so global, but you can still get personal and you can get on the ground with your team um, and to care about what they care about as well and join on that journey. Um, thank you for sharing. But I also really love that every time I kind of ask questions, I know sometimes they might be quite difficult ones. You're really transparent. You're like, actually, we're not there yet. Um, I think a lot of people listening in will always feel that big gap, you know, like, oh, so-and-so, they've got it all figured out. But actually, we're all on a journey together. I think that's just really encouraging. So thank you for your like honesty and just transparency. Um, so one of the things that we love doing uh, in the podcast is we have this thing called a rapid fire round. And so it's literally, I'll just throw you a question. Some of them could be quite random. Um, but um, if you can just keep your like answers really, really short and succinct, and it's just a chance for everyone to kind of get to know you better as a person. Um, so um, I'll fire away. And then after this, I'll hand it over to Henry. And we'd love to close each episode, but just what God's speaking to you on. So Henry will do that. Um, so here we go. Um, you have a certificate in open water diving. What intrigues you about that? What do you love about it? Uh, I love exploring and being underwater really transport you to a whole other world. Okay. What have you seen underneath that that's been intriguing? Uh, I, I think the best is around actually Great Barrier Reef. Uh, we went oh. to this. Uh, we went to this place where there's a sunken ship, and there's nothing for miles, right? So when you go down, you literally see this wall of fish and turtles and Napoleon wrasse and all those things. So we literally have to go like this, right? Uh, uh, well, people can't see that, but you have to yeah. use your arms to 
to to move the walls of, of fish and marine life. It was just tremendous. And it it just makes you wonder, right? And and think about wow, uh, what else that God has created we haven't mm. seen. Yeah, blows your mind. Um, when did you get first bitten uh, bit by the entrepreneurship bug? Uh, when I was a five-year-old in Jakarta setting up a pay library. So again, imagine this is... Is that called a bookstore? <laughs> uh, bookstore you purchase, you don't rent, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, I think that's that's probably the, the difference. But, um, you know, I, I was a, a comic geek and I collected all those things. My parents, that's all, that's all I ever get for my birthday, right? And a lot of, of the kids around the neighborhood, they really want to... Uh, read those things. And, and I thought, hey, why not set up a, a library where I charge them, say, five cents to rent it for a couple of days, and then they bring it back, right? Uh, and I have tons of that. I put it in the front yard, all that. Wow. You know? And um, <laughs> of course, I didn't think through a lot of the potential ramifications. What I found out is that people keep my my comics and my books. They didn't return them. So I had to bring my dad in, you know, into the scene and and going to their houses and asking their parents to make sure that my friends would, would return the, the books and the comics, right? And so that, yeah, it was a two-week uh, endeavor. That, okay. that was my first time. I'm pretty sure your dad was probably thankful that you kind of given it up. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, he made he me was, quit it. Yeah. He's your first employee, actually, from the sound of it. Um, so for eight years, you've served on the board of Church World Service, an organization that fights hunger, poverty, displacement, and disaster. What drew you to that ministry? Simply their mission and, and my own personal missions are, are aligned, right? Uh, for me, and I think Henry probably gets tired of me uh, quoting this this verse. I, this is something just so personal for me, summed up quite well in this personal mission, right? Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And that's what CWS works on. And, and that's what I'd like my life to, to reflect. That was a great soundbite. May that be the case for all of us. And I see how that undergirds the work that you do at Nimbly and just the, just all this behind the quest for human potential and, and loving on the frontline employees. So I'm grateful for you. So that's obviously a great place for us to, to end. Uh, we, we always like to bring people back to scripture, but one last thing I want to say is in addition to that, that animates so much of your work, what are you hearing from God over the course of the last, know, maybe today in something you read in, in his word, maybe it's last week, maybe it's over the course of the last month, but what do you hear, believing that, that God's word is alive? Um, what are you hearing from him? Uh, I think I shared this with you uh, earlier in the year. Uh, we were fasting about the strategy that we should take this year. And of course, I expected God to tell me which markets to to open or, you know, what, what industries to tackle. But it was none of that. And I, it was more of a conviction, to be honest. Um, conviction where... I think as tech entrepreneurs, particularly, we're so expected to be a unicorn. And that pressure is so ever present every day, whether it's right on top of mind or it's, you know, uh, underneath your spirit, you feel it and you feel this, this need to be on this, um, treadmill, if you will. Right. And I, I think because of that, 
I feel a lot of times that my sense of value or my worth is tied to my performance, right? Um, and, and I mean, even investors tell you this, right? We're investing in you. We're investing in the team, right? Not even the idea and, and, and the business yet, all those things, right? But when you really step back and think about it, um, our worth shouldn't be from performance. Um, you know, it should be from God. I mean, God loves us first. Even before we did anything, God loved us. I think it's easy to forget that, you know, in this race of becoming a unicorn, uh, God called us to be humans first and to be his so, He doesn't love us. His love is not based on what our market cap is or what our top line is or what our bottom line is or whether we have the, the title unicorn or not. Do you think that God loves us even if we fail? That's something that I had to struggle during this conviction because the Holy Spirit asked me, what if you fail? What if you're not meant to be a unicorn? What if you're not meant to be successful? Will you still honor me in the platform that I've given you? Because I've always thought one day when I'm becoming a unicorn, I'll have this platform. People will hear me because I'm a unicorn, right? God's saying that's not it. Be faithful in the small things, right? Mm. Be faithful in the things that you already given the platform that you already have. What about all those 80 employees that you already have? What are you doing about that today? So, it, it, so for me right now, of course, conceptually, it's very easy to say, right? Um, we we are showing, we're trying to show God's love to our employees, but beyond that, our ecosystem, customers, partners, and and so forth. Um, but it's a daily struggle. It's a daily. Um, Intentionality has to be there daily. Otherwise, too easy to drift back to yes, we need to be a unicorn. Let's let's do everything we can to to grow. You know, three hundred percent per year, etc. How do you maintain that intentionality? Well, lately, um, <laughs> probably half the time I fail at this. Uh, just micro tasks. Uh, again, this this goes back to a lot of gamification aspects, but just micro tasks. Not reaching for my phone. Uh, you know, the you know, as soon as I wake up, I I start putting my phone down in the next room, and really spending time with God, uh, being present. Um, you know, with with my wife or or uh, with friends or with employees, as opposed to listening to them while scrolling on emails or answering emails or uh, doing something else. Um, I think abiding really in 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 God and and being present with people. Uh, is how I'm trying to do that, you know, day in, day out. You mentioned that you um, have opportunities to love on ecosystem partners. Uh, any examples come to mind on that? I, I love that. So a lot of times we focus on customer, employee, but we have interaction with lots of different enterprises, lots of different companies. You know, we got vendors, we got partners. What does that look like for you? Absolutely. So. Um, We've been able to build a lot of, I would say, friendships, or I have been able to build a lot of friendships with some of our clients or some some of our partners um, because we deal with each other quite a lot, and and we don't just talk about business; we talk about family and, and so forth. So, unfortunately, this um, this person this happened to be uh, one of our clients. Actually, uh, he 
he, he told me, hey, I'm, I'm going through something really, really tough. Uh, my wife just left and took my child without me knowing. Uh, so they've been going through, uh, you know, a bit of a journey in, in their marriage. And, and um, he's not a believer. Um, I probably spent two, three hours, which is more than a typical business meeting would have, which would be an hour. Um, and just listening. And I just asked him, hey, can I just pray with you? Um, you know, and, and <laughs> no one, when, when you offered to pray with them and, and they're in a hard place, will ever say no. No one. No matter mm-hmm. if they're believers or not, right? So yeah. I, I feel like we've been able to uh, really develop that um, uh, deeper level of, of even friendship and connection. I I love that. I think that's awesome. Uh, to and that's my experience as well. And so, you, people listening to this might say, "Well, wait a second. Isn't Jakarta? Jakarta is not exactly a, a community of just Christians, um, and yet there is something that's universal about you loving on people the best way you know how and it being received well. And a lot of that comes, Daniel, from just your intentionality and having loved that person and heard them out. So. Thank you for that encouragement for me, for when, for our audience. I'm grateful for the work that God continues to do through you. We're looking forward to staying in touch and hearing more about the lessons that God has taught you. May God bless you and your team and your family. Thank you, Henry and Wen. It's an honor to be with you guys, and and um, we'll, we'll be talking to you soon. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve this community and have listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. You can find fellowship with other like-minded leaders by joining a foundation group. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with peers in your area or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected with us by signing up for our monthly newsletter at asia.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of our team and friends across the movements. Thanks to everyone leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your area. We are grateful for you. Hey, everyone. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guests may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. And this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Thanks for listening.